0: Censoring people who don't agree with you is a lose-lose situation for everybody. Because, like you say, once the principle of censorship has been brought in, once you can say, on this area of public street, um, on this area of public land, you cannot express a view or even think a view um, contrary to the opinion of the state, um, then you can apply it to anywhere else.
1: Coming up on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Lois McClatchy-Miller, a cultural commentator who works for ADF, a faith-based advocacy organisation that protects fundamental freedoms. Lois talks about censorship zones around abortion clinics and the worrying phenomena of people being charged with thought crimes.
0: There is certainly a cultural drive to make it very difficult for people to express beliefs that are more traditional, uh, that are more conservative, maybe have a Christian ethos in them. We can see this with abortion, um, with... um, belief in uh, male and female and the differences between them and, and supporting each to thrive in their own sex.
1: She wants that not speaking openly and valuing our freedom of speech could lead down a dangerous path of censorship.
0: But I think those with conservative values or with Christian values or whatever, however they define it, I think it's important that they make use of that free speech and that space and engage respectfully, but, but remember to engage and not just be kind of silenced to a cultural censorship because that can be just as damaging as if it's a kind of state-imposed censorship and, in fact, a cultural censorship enables and empowers a state censorship.
1: I'm Lee Hall. This is British Thought Leaders. Lois McClatchy-Miller, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: You've been working on a case of an army veteran who is charged with praying silently in his mind. Could you talk us through what happened?
0: No, it's an incredible case. You would think this was 1984, but in fact it's 2023 in Britain. Um, And yet uh, a man praying solely in his head without expressing any form of opinion or or protest or overt um, public expression has um, now been placed on trial. I'll take you back to the day it happened to kind of talk through the story. Um, Adam, as you mentioned, is an an army veteran. He served in Afghanistan uh, because he believes in fundamental freedoms and democracy and and the things that Britain, the values that Britain was was built on. Um, And he also carries a little bit of a personal story in relation to abortion. So 22 years ago. Um, he actually paid for an abortion for his then-girlfriend. It's a decision that to this day fills him with deep regrets and remorse, um, and he feels he could have handled that situation a lot better. And it's something that he feels driven to pray about, that situation a lot years ago, and then with sympathy to the men and women who are dealing with that difficult uh, decision uh, today about abortion, he he feels drawn to pray for them. Too. So Adam was out, um, he stopped by an abortion facility in Bournemouth, and he prayed in his mind.
2: We've discussed the fact that you stood behind the tree, so most of the time you're out of sight of the clinic, you're not approaching anybody, no, I'm not. you're not overtly protesting, praying, anything like that. So my understanding is, and her understanding is, what you're doing now, you can do. Yeah, that would be um, my, if, that would be my understanding as yeah. well. Um, and literally, like I said, in, in 20 years of doing this, I've never dealt with a breach of a PSBO. So it's yes. new for me as well, which I had to have a proper read of it, because I don't want to come and say, Right, you're you're yes. under arrest and put my hands on you, yes. because then I've assaulted you. <laughs> yes. Well, I, that's yeah. how it is. I, I, yes. I, the same rules apply to me as they do to everybody else. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Um, I can't, I can't make you leave because it's a public place and you're allowed yeah. to stand here and do what you're doing. Yes. Um, they you. will call us if you change your behaviour and you start approaching people, you're causing issues. I don't think you're going to do that.
1: I, I won't be doing I'm I'm due here until another 20 minutes, Okay, so 12 o'clock. Yep. So I've been here since 10 Yeah. and I'll be just continuing to pray in my mind. Yep. I, I won't be okay. saying anything aloud. I might... I got my phone with a Bible. I might read yes. some scripture, but yeah, I won't be saying anything. you're entitled
2: to do, aren't you? Because yes. it is England yes. and it's a public place and yeah, exactly. you're allowed to do that. Okay? Exactly. William, yeah. I think we're done. Thank all you right. very much. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Well, um, staff, we're not going to go and speak to them again because they've been spoken to by us first and ASB team, the council, spoke to them on the phone. Okay. So, all right? God bless okay. you. Have a Thank good you. afternoon. Thank you. Yes. Thank Take you. Visit.
0: Now, in Bournemouth, and actually across five councils in the UK... Um, local measures have been introduced which ban what they call any form of expression of approval or disapproval of abortion. And in Bournemouth this specifically uh, lists examples, including prayer, crossing oneself, um, as some people do, um, reading scripture, and a whole other manner of, of, of Christian, frankly, activities. Um, what was not clear that was that this would also apply if you're not expressing anything verbally Um, but merely standing silently with the thought of prayer uh, inside your head.
1: So the police come and ask you what you're thinking.
0: Correct. So in multiple circumstances, it's been the police come and ask the individual what they're thinking. In Adam's case, it was local council officers. Um, And when he um, admitted to them, I suppose, that that he was praying inside his head, they issued him with a fine. Adam didn't pay that fine because he felt it went against his conscience um, to say that in the UK that it's ever illegal to be praying inside one's head. That just sounded too ridiculous, too Orwellian. It couldn't possibly be true. So he didn't pay the fine and now he actually faced this criminal trial uh, on because of these facts because he prayed near an abortion facility in a so-called buffer zone uh, and obviously not being able to pay the fine, he now uh, faces criminal charges. So he's pled not guilty and we'll be seeing his case uh, play out in November Um, in the, in the pool, magistrate's court.
1: So when those officers came over, if he said he was thinking about something else, that would have been completely fine.
0: Right. If Adam had been even speaking loudly, protesting about, say, climate change or another social issue or another topic, that would have been perfectly illegal. But because of the content of the thoughts in his head, because they were specifically about abortion, about it being pro-life... That was why he allegedly broke the so-called buffers, buffer zone, or censorship zone, I like to say.
1: So this is not the first case at this time you've been working on either?
0: It's not. It's actually the third case, if you can believe it, uh, of thought crime in the UK. I know. <laughs> so earlier this year, uh, there was was two other individuals actually up in Birmingham uh, who were... Um, on criminal charges because they had been thinking prayers in their head. One was Isabel on Spruce. Uh, She's a charitable volunteer and a pro-life advocate. And um, she, for 20 years, has been praying uh, and giving charitable support to women outside abortion facilities. And she was charged, uh, in a very viral video, actually, um, for she was arrested uh, for praying inside her head. Um, And similarly, Father Sean Gough, obviously a Catholic priest, and he, more specifically prayed, he didn't pray about abortion, he prayed about free speech. Mm -hmm. Um, He held a sign outside or in the buffer zone, which is about 150 metres wide, covers several streets, and it said praying for free speech, obviously making a bit of a point um, about this kind of very sensorial Orwellian zone. Um, He was charged for that and also for having a small bumper sticker on his car, which was a year old that he'd forgotten about. Um, and said unborn lives matter. He had parked his car in the buffer zone and, and he was charged for that too. So we're seeing a, a plethora of criminal charges basically based on pro-life opinion, um, which m- some people may disagree with, uh, but it's certainly far from illegal in the UK. And it used to be, in fact, the normal opinion until very, very recently.
1: So are you expecting, because I know there was a law passed earlier in the year that bringing in these buffer zones around abortion facilities, are you expecting this kind of thing to increase?
0: Yes. I, I, well, what does remain to be seen is we, you're right that it was introduced in the Public Order Act um, that buffer zones or censorship zones would be implemented across the country. Um, that law is yet to be put into action. And right now the government are drafting guidance um, as to how to implement that law. So this guidance will be um, used by prosecutors and police and um, they'll refer to that to see how they are to implement uh, these censorship zones. And and hopefully uh, there'll be some sort of guidance as to to protecting freedom of thought, which is of course a fundamental human right in international law and domestic law. Nobody should be arrested for the the thoughts they have in their head. Um, But it remains to be seen. We wait for that guidance to be published.
1: Today, it's abortion. Maybe tomorrow is something else we're not allowed to think about. You're you're not allowed to have gender critical views, for example, in a certain zone. How does this affect the freedom of people in the UK more widely?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really important point to bring up because not everybody agrees with Adam or Isabel or Father Sean. Not everybody agrees that well, they, they would phrase it like this, that everybody has the right to life no matter if they're born or unborn, if they're male or female, whatever, you know, characteristic they hold, every, every human being has the right to life. And they would also say that women deserve far better than abortion, that we're failing women by having such a high abortion rate in this country. Now, I appreciate that people hold different views on this topic, um, but censoring people who don't agree with you is a lose-lose situation for everybody. Because like you say, once the principle of censorship has been brought in, once you can say on this area of public street, um, on this area of public land, you cannot express a view or even think a view um, contrary to the opinion of the state, um, then you can apply it to anywhere else. So, you know, it could be that um, like gender critical thought is, is another view that's often under pressure. Once we have censorship zones for for abortion, why don't have a censorship zone around another you know area of of the town that you know people might be offended by gender critical thought in? We have to protect free speech for everybody, or else we have free speech for nobody.
1: So these um, buffer zones and then the new law you're talking about, how, how does that work?
0: So it's all done under the auspices of influence. Now, people who have campaigned for buffer zones would say that they are a measure against harassment, against women in a very vulnerable state, a very vulnerable day of their lives. And if that was what buffer zones did, that would be great because no woman should be harassed at any point of her life, let alone on on such... Uh, a difficult day of her life. And I absolutely agree that and harassment is illegal. And thank goodness for that. It is already illegal. So there are already powers that exist within the police force to deal with instances of harassment as and when they occur, which, by the way, the data shows is, is actually not common um, outside of abortion facilities. The majority of people who are volunteering near abortion facilities are doing one of two things. They're either praying praying. Um, about this very important social issue, which, remember, affects one in three women in our country. This is something that really affects many people's lives and, and why should, should people who pray not feel that they can pray about this issue? Or they might also be offering charitable support. There are charities that do an excellent work at saying, you know what, there are many women in this country who have an abortion... Uh, without necessarily wanting to Mm -hmm. I think uh, the latest figures from the BBC uh, was almost one in five uh, women who have abortions would actually prefer not to so clearly there's other factors at play here maybe it's an economic decision maybe they need better financial support maybe they need um, practical support maybe they're daunted at the thought of motherhood but you know would, would, would like to rely on somebody for Uh, practical supplies and that kind of thing, maybe it's kind of emotional support, maybe they they just feel unsupported uh, by their friend group or their parents or their partner or whoever it is. But what we can see from that statistic is that there are reasons that are compelling women to do this thing, which is we know is um, a traumatic decision, we know has um, repercussions for mental health for women, and that many, including myself, believe um, is detrimental to the lives of, of unborn children and that we can do much better to support all of these groups in society. So these charitable volunteers will offer services and leaflets about help that's available to women, financial, emotional practical, whatever it may be, so that they have a different choice, that they have options, that they can uh, avoid abortion if they would like to. And I think that's a great thing. And I think whether you call yourself pro-life, pro-choice, pro-abortion, this is something that we can all get behind. Nobody thinks that a woman should be having an abortion against her will. So let's all try and combat that. And that's what a lot of these volunteers are doing outside the clinics. Unfortunately, with the new law that's being introduced uh, through the Public Order Act, this good activity, this good, lawful, and helpful activity will now be illegal to stand and offer help, charitable help, to women uh, who might want to hear about options available to them.
1: So the law covers influencing people. Literally, you couldn't start a conversation. And as you say, there's one in five women don't want an abortion, you'd think that they might kind of appreciate an interception of some sort. So are we really empowering them by making that illegal? Right.
0: It's not pro-choice. It's no choice. It's removing options from women. And by the way, if we think about it like this, these are consensual conversations taking place between two adults um, about an important topic. Why should the state come in and censor a conversation? assuming on the woman's behalf that she doesn't want to hear this information. That seems very um, kind of fraternalistic uh, and, and unsupportive of women to me. There's a campaign group called Be Here For Me. Um, that's um, where many women have spoken about about the positive experience of support that they received when they spoke to charitable volunteers outside the clinic. Invariably, um, they had been in a situation where they didn't want to have an abortion, but they felt they had no option. They were able to find out about options of support. A lot of them kept their children and now are thriving as empowered mothers. And they've spoken out and said, look, we vulnerable women who were in this situation, we want to keep these options open. For future, for other women who are in our shoes, we know what it's like. We want them to have that option of support. So they've been very clear about what they would like to see, but they've been kind of ignored in this conversation because there's this kind of ideological drive when it comes to the A word, abortion. We can be very trigger happy with our censorship um, because it's such a controversial issue in our society. But this isn't an academic one. This is one that affects the lives of real vulnerable women who would like to know about support available and it should never have been taken away from them.
1: So we started with thought crimes, then we moved on to crimes of influencing people, crimes of even starting a conversation. It really does feel like you're dealing with 1984. Yeah.
0: Quite. I mean, it, it's become quite cliche to talk about Orwell in modern society, but there really is no other comparison to it than the 1984 and the thought police and having a thought crime and, um, yeah, being banned for simply having peaceful thoughts inside your head about a topic. The state should never be telling you what you think. Um, or, or punishing you for thinking the wrong thought. It's, it's so Orwellian.
1: I know uh, as ADF you have a bigger branch in America as well. Do you feel it's quite different kind of dealing with abortion issues here than, than maybe your colleagues in America have? Because I think it's a lot more mainstream to be against abortion in America.
0: It's certainly a very different culture where it's spoken about a lot more. It's a political issue, it's not a political issue here because all of the main parties would be pro-abortion, um, so it's it's less of a divisive kind of voting issue, which means it's less likely to be in the news and the papers and public discussion. Um, and it's quite easy for people, I think, in the UK to dismiss this topic and say, oh, that's an American thing, and that is just, I th- if you beg my pardon, I think it's quite a lazy approach to a very important topic because Britain actually protected life to a far greater extent than America did until a couple of years ago. Um, in America, under um, their previous legislation, it was possible in some states, and actually still is today, to get an abortion all the way up to term. Now, Britain has a different approach and um, had capped abortion at 24 weeks, which is, was um, uh, a tighter or a, a more protective view than the states had. I will say that Britain, in comparison to Europe, is actually a lot less protective of life so most of people don't realize that we have a 24-week abortion cap and that's about six months so if you think about a six-month pregnancy month it's a quite a large baby at that point quite developed most european nations actually cap at 12 weeks or 15 weeks um, so we were about double um, so we actually have a very very extreme i would say abortion situation here in the uk and i think you know it's these are people who are living in Britain that we have a duty to to be looking at the best policy solutions to be looking to make sure that women aren't kind of abandoned to abortion and that that's the best option available to them because no little girl wants to grow up having an abortion. It's never the best scenario. We want them to have empowered choices to become mothers, uh, and we want to make sure that you know we have are supporting the next generation here in Britain, um, those unborn babies and um, and young children to be to be thriving and not um, kind of tossed aside by abortion. So it's, it is a British issue that I think, you know, we at ADF UK, we look at with a very British lens, um, and it's something that we should be talking about more in this country.
1: We're taking a step back from all of this, it feels like the kind of traditional um, values and beliefs are in direct opposition to a lot of the more progressive values that we're seeing become more prevalent these days. Um, there's even like, legal and societal frameworks being put in place so you can't criticise these more progressive values and what does this mean for people with more traditional beliefs in society today
0: yeah I think firstly I I challenge the framing of progressivism because I think we've kind of been put into this box where what we're told is that we we're against progress and I'd say I'm very much for progress I'm for, for progressing um oh, women's available women's you know support for women to, to thrive as mothers. I think it's actually quite regressive to be taking that away from women. I'm, I'm supportive of progressing the rights of un, the unborn, which is an equality issue because whether black or white, male or female, disabled or not disabled, born or unborn, we should all have rights, you know, equal rights, um, irrespective of our characteristics. So I think actually the, the pro-life message it's, it's not an aggressive one, but a progressive one, but I, I understand what you were saying. <laughs> um, the, it is definitely... Um, there is certainly a cultural drive to make it very difficult for people to express beliefs that are more traditional, uh, that are more conservative, maybe have a Christian ethos in them. We can see this with abortion, um, with um, belief in uh, male and female and the differences between them and, and supporting each to thrive in their own sex. Um, it certainly, a culture can be quite a cancellous one, and I think that that really reached its peak a few years ago. Uh, I am encouraged in the UK that we have a free speech culture that is um, probably more aware of some of these issues than other European nations who haven't quite um, got that culture of protecting free speech, even though we might not agree with each other. Uh, So I am encouraged, and I think there's still plenty of space, but I think those with conservative values or with Christian values or whatever, however they define it, I think it's important that they make use of that free speech and that space, and engage respectfully, but in, but remember to engage and not just be kind of silenced through a cultural censorship because that can be just as damaging as if it's a kind of state-imposed censorship, and in fact, a cultural censorship enables and empowers a state sem- censorship. So we want to be able to make sure that we are using our free speech in a good, healthy and constructive way um, and keeping that space open um, for this kind of marketplace of ideas so that we can be looking at um, advancing great policy that benefits everyone and not, don't have policy siloed into just kind of majority mainstream or approved opinion.
1: There's some interesting uh, examples that happened recently, there was that Finnish politician yeah. Uh, so she tweeted a Bible verse because she wasn't happy that her church was sponsoring a pride event. Yeah. And then we also had the British councillor. He
0: had That's to right. leave
1: the Conservative Party and he had to leave his job in nursing because he tweeted yeah. something like pride is a, a sin, not a virtue.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: these are kind of people quoting the Bible, aren't they?
0: they are yeah no it is shocking i think these cases are helpful to give us a sharp reminder about what's at stake here um the finnish politician that's an adf international case uh, and she's actually going to trial in two weeks so, so keep an eye out for what happens uh, with her um i couldn't believe it that she is on criminal trial a second time for tweeting a bible verse it just seems so unheard of and unthinkable if you told someone you know if you told someone in my parents generation uh well they wouldn't have know what a tweet is but nevertheless, <laughs> um, they would have been shocked to hear that expressing a, a biblical opinion in the public sphere would be anything but but you know mainstream um so these cases shock um but it's important not to just leave it at shock but say okay if they are able to do this to a politician a public figure pivi uh the center of that finnish case she's quite a famous figure in finland she used to be the home secretary equivalent if they can do that to her, then how much more can they fear put fear into and put censorship into the culture of people, ordinary people who maybe don't have the fame or the legal backing to challenge uh, and to push back and say, you know what, this is a perfectly um, you know, fine thing to say in a democratic society and we need to consider these important elements when it comes to you know, this that or the other. Um, so I think we should take these as inspiration to be able to talk and to be able to champion freedom of speech for everybody.
1: I mean, you spend a lot of your time defending people who've been persecuted or challenged over their Christian views. We we talk a lot about inclusivity in our society today. Do you ever get the feeling it it, it doesn't stretch to people who have Christian beliefs?
0: (laughs) They're certainly on the front line. I'd say that. They're certainly on the front line of the censorship culture and certainly ADF International and ADF UK uh, where I am based uh, we are always looking out for the interests of Christians who have been kind of silenced from the public square whether that be a street preacher who was arrested for sharing a bible verse or somebody in the workplace who's been kind of um, discriminated against because of their faith. Um, You know Christians are uh, warned that these things will happen in the Bible so it's not unheard of um, and of course you know Aid of International looking overseas in the Middle East and different places in Africa we can see that the situation for Christians there is far far worse so we have that perspective as well um, but ultimately we know that a lot of these values are um, for the good of people um, they come from a place of wanting society to thrive and they are important issues that we actually have based, uh, you know, society on for, for many, many years. When, when Christianity came to Rome, it came to a society where, you know, Parents were able to kill their children with very limited legal consequences. Uh, women were second-class citizens, even worse, and um, they had basically no rights. Um, sexual immorality was rife; rape was very normal. Uh, Christianity came in, and and, and and slavery, of course, was was rife. And Christianity came in and turned all these things on their head, and they introduced this idea of human equality, and and brought these these fundamental values that we now consider human rights. Um, and we've kind of forgotten that Christianity played a major role in that. But by ousting Christian thought from society, we actually oust a lot of these ideas, which are very pivotal uh, to securing human rights and that are built our, our British Parliament and the, what we consider to be very normal, like free speech, democracy. All of these things they have Christian origins. So, so putting Christianity out of the public, public sphere can only lead to something that's very um, brutal. Um, you know, a, a difficult form of cancel culture, um, something that people are not considered equal based on just their humanity, but considered you know, better or worse based on different traits that they have. By throwing out, if, if you don't like Christian society, you're gonna like post-Christian society even less, because um, it's just so much more unequal and awful. Uh, whereas Christianity actually had the solutions and not always perfectly um, modeled out by humans because humans are flawed. But the ethos and the thoughts and the principles that that were introduced through Christianity in the Bible have been a great um, triumph for humanity.
1: You say that these these values are more universal. Um, Do you think we kind of need to get to the point where people can put aside their differences like, you know, Christian people being persecuted, Jewish people being persecuted? and just look for ways we can unite, because it feels like our, our very values are, are under attack mm. these days.
0: Yeah, I think you can unite with with anyone who's on the same side of your cause. Um, I think that's a great principle to have. We certainly have it. ADF stands for Alliance Defending Freedom. Alliance is in our name, we will build alliances uh, with anybody who agrees with us on a specific issue. So with free speech, um, for example, we might not agree with everybody's use of free speech. Um, they might be, you know, I would support free speech even though I am fundamentally pro-life, I would support someone else's free speech to disagree with me and to support abortion because then we can have a conversation. If one of us is censored, then we don't get to have that conversation and we cannot come to understand each other, we cannot come to find solutions which actually empower and help people in society, but rather it becomes more divided, more resentful. So I, we can see that play out in different issues. So I think you can find you know, one issue that you connect with someone on and, great, champion that together. It doesn't mean you're going to be working with them on everything else that you work on, but I think that's a good principle to have.
1: Nice McClatchy-Miller, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank
0: you so much. <laughs>